Thank you for tuning in to the Excellence Exchange Podcast. I'm your host, Sharon Hulse, president of ERG Executive Search, which is a nationwide executive search firm headquartered in Appleton, Wisconsin. I am so excited about our guest today. She is a titan of the publishing industry, a vanguard of, of women's entrepreneurship, and a highly regarded global advocate. She is a formidable editor and publisher of Enterprising Women magazine. She's president of the Enterprise Women Foundation and a recipient of probably more awards than we could ever count for her tireless work empowering women entrepreneurs worldwide. Join us as we explore her decades of leadership, her powerful impact, and the wisdom she has garnered by her remarkable journey. Please welcome Monica Smiley. Hello, Monica. Hi, Sharon. Thank you so much. What a wonderful well, introduction. You. Well, and and very as I as I studied your story, um, it it just was a fascinating journey to read through, and and you certainly have earned every one of those accolades. So I guess I'd like to start there. Uh, for those who are listening, can you share your journey? How did you start, and and especially how did it become this focus on women entrepreneurs? Sure, sure. Well, so Sharon, I have been a journalist uh, seemingly my entire life, uh, since right out of college. Uh, and uh, very early on, identified that as a career path for myself. I think my, my mother used to joke that uh, when I was in sixth grade, um, when I was the editor of my uh, little newspaper in middle school, that uh, you know I would sit cross-legged on my bed with my little pink typewriter, and you know she was like, "You you really never changed your focus. You you know that's what you always wanted to do." So um, I did follow that career path. I have a degree in journalism from Bradley University in Illinois, and uh, I worked for a newspaper um, initially right out of college, but then I moved over to the magazine industry, uh, really from the age of of 21 on. Uh, and I hate to admit I'm 67 now. So, you know, that's uh, more than 45 years really in the magazine publishing industry. Um, very quickly, just to share, um, I met my husband working for a publication in the photography industry called Photo Marketing. Um, it was a basically a monthly magazine that um, was a part of a very large trade association in that industry. And we hosted a big trade show every year. We produced newsletters in multiple languages. It was a global uh, publication. And everybody who was in the industry of photography, camera makers, photo finishers, uh, professional photographers, anyone in that industry was familiar with this publication. So uh, my husband, John Dancer, worked there for 17 years. I was there for seven years. And uh, we married um, in the mid-1980s in 1985, but we started a publishing company together after we both left that organization. And um, it was really focused on helping people who um, had an idea to start a magazine, uh, perhaps they had the financial resources to do it, but they didn't have the day-to-day know-how to be able to create one. So we helped start magazines in a number of different industries um, over the years. We did one in the health and fit- fitness industry for about 14 years. And um, finally, um, when I, it, you know, when I was... Um, I won't say it was a 40-year-old crisis, but I sort of reached a point where I said, you know what, the next thing that I do, I really want it to be something that I love, that I'm really passionate about. 
And, um, you know, I'd been a woman business owner for many, many years. And, you know, I looked around and just said, there really isn't anything out there reaching women entrepreneurs. Um, at that time, um, I don't know if you recall the magazine Working Woman, but mm-hmm. um, it reached, it did reach women entrepreneurs, but it also reached every woman, you know, right out of college um, with her first job. So you just can't reach that many different audiences and really do a great job at it. So um, we did some investigating and we found Enterprising Women um, online. There was a website for it. Um, The publication had been started in the mid-1990s. It had been published for about three years and it went out of business. And I Mm -hmm. I think it maybe was just a little ahead of its time. Um, It was owned by a man. And uh, he ended up leaving the country um, for his publishing business. I think he was uh, Australian. And he turned the magazine over to a small group of women who had a connection with the National Association of Women Business Owners, NABO, out in Los Angeles. So we saw the information on what was the old enterprising women, and we approached this group. Um, They didn't answer their phones anymore. I remember sending a fax that landed probably in somebody's back bedroom. I read that story. um, I thought it was hysterical. Yeah, they reached out to me, and I flew out to Los Angeles and met with them, and we ended up um, paying $10,000 to buy the trademark rights to the enterprising women name. We received two or three boxes of files and a very dated mailing list that really wasn't Mm -hmm. usable. And then we took um, about nine months or so and we relaunched the magazine with the first issue in May of 2000. So uh, and and we were really at a point, um, you know, that women's entrepreneurship had had gone through explosive growth in the mid-1990s. And it really was time for a magazine like Enterprising Women. Uh, when I looked around at the time at, you know, Business Week and Fortune and Forbes and, you know, all the other business publications that were out there, if you looked at the staff box, you would see that there were very few, if any, women um, involved with those publications. If you read the publications, you would rarely see a woman profiled. Um, and there was still this attitude that, you know, women weren't running significant businesses. Um, and so we, you know, created the magazine with the idea that we could be a voice for women entrepreneurs and that the publication would largely be written by women, outstanding women entrepreneurs for other women um, sharing their best practices. And that's really a model that we've used, you know, over the last 23 years, you know, to, to grow the magazine. Well, and, and, you know, as I, I know that you have a million followers, million, million subscribers of the magazine, so it's grown substantially, but I have to think that it also, for you, you became in many respects, this pioneer for young women as well as as entrepreneurs, uh, female entrepreneurs, because now uh, it isn't just the magazine that Monica's involved in. So talk about how the magazine starting became this, you became this pioneer for all representing almost all women in a lot of different platforms. How did that evolve? Well, you know, we really have said all along, you know, we're more than a magazine. We're a community of women. And building that community has been really important to all of us. Um, As you know, we have an advisory board for the magazine that we set up in 2003. So it's been about 20 years. And the concept for that was one that um, 
don't know if you're familiar with the Women Presidents Organization, WPO. I'm actually in WPO. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. And so am mm-hmm. I in the Raleigh Durham area and have been for many, many years. But at the time I reached out to Dr. Marsha Firestone, who founded the Women Presidents Organization in New York. And, you know, I said, Marsha, I really want to set up an advisory board for this magazine, but, you know, would you help me brainstorm what that might look like? And to her credit, Marsha came back to me and she said, you know, I, I want you to build this board that um, will include women who have reached a level of success with their own companies, and they're willing to give back to support the mission of the magazine, which really, you know, is to educate and, and inspire women to grow and scale their businesses. And she said, you're, you're going to charge a membership for people to be on this board. And I remember I, I was stunned and I said, no, that, you know, that's not a good idea. I think that I should pay them. And she said, Monica, you know, what you're doing with the publication is really tough. It's really hard to do. And, you know, you want to sustain it. You want to keep it out there. So, you know, let's see if we can build something that you know, the women on the board will, will receive great PR and exposure for being involved with the magazine. But you know, they can share their best practices and it, it's just going to be, you know, such a great way for women from all over the U.S. and as it turned out globally to really have a voice and to be ambassadors for the magazine. So, you know, I took her up on that idea and we started with only, I think, about 13 women that first year. Today, it's a board of about 150 women. Um, they have businesses ranging from you know, a handful under a million on up to several with over a billion in revenues. Um, We have about 20 nonprofit women leaders on the board. So, you know, all those partnerships with the women's business organizations are very important to us. And, you know, when I started the magazine, I said, anybody who's doing anything positive for women entrepreneurs, we, the door will be open to them. We want to promote them. We want to, you know, make this a place that, that they can use to share their message. And so, you know, we've really done that over the years. Um, And the board has just become the backbone of the magazine. When when you pick up an issue of Enterprising Women, if you read the author credits, most of the time you will see the person is a member of the Enterprising Women Advisory Board. Not always. Mm -hmm. There are some other, you know, we do accept other um, articles, but we always give priority to our board members. And to me, it's just so important as a journalist that the, that the quality of the publication is always there, that mm-hmm. we're really looking at the major issues that women entrepreneurs are faced with. And, you know, are we addressing them firsthand? And are they hearing from women who, you know, are not just writing about something that they know, don't know anything about? They're writing mm-hmm. because they are experts at it and they're really sharing what it is they do best and helping other women grow so there's that spirit of sisterhood, of camaraderie uh, that, you know, really makes people feel connected to the organization. And what I've learned through the years is, you know, we see a lot of women who've been on our board who will who will sell their companies. And the only thing they'll continue to do is to stay on our advisory board because they love the fact that they can share their wisdom. They can, you know, maybe they're going to go on and write a book. They can, you know, we'll run an excerpt of the book. They can speak at our conferences. They can stay engaged. And, you know, they have so much to share that, you know, we love that, of course. So, And that was the, no doubt, I just attended the conference. And that was something that, that women lifting up other women was a fiber through the whole event. I'm curious how, I mean, I was obviously very honored to receive the Enterprising Women of the Year Award um, this year, along with some amazing women. 
Um, how, what was the impetus of that starting and the, the convention? Cause obviously you, with the magazine, you didn't have those things in the beginning. So how did that come to fruition? Yeah, absolutely. Well, a couple of years after we started the publication, so in, in 2002, um, I had been thinking about doing an issue of the magazine to just shine a spotlight on a group of women entrepreneurs, maybe select 20 women and do a special issue of the magazine. Well, it just happened that we were doing a cover story on women in the food industry. And WPO had recommended a woman named Rona Silver, who at that time had the largest women-owned catering company in the country. She was based on Long Island. And so I did an interview with her and, you know, she jokingly said, of course, I should be on the front cover, you know, and, and we laughed about it. And, and we did end up putting her on the cover of that issue. She was very bold, but, uh, you know, had a right to be. And at the end of the interview, she said, you know, Monica, if you'd ever like to do any type of an event in New York, I'd be happy to host it for you. And I said, well, you know, I, I was I'm thinking about doing this special issue, the magazine and recognizing some women, but I would love to actually have a reception and do something with them. And she said, great, I'll host it for you. So the first year that we did the awards, we only had three honorees. And uh, it was a two-hour reception in Manhattan. It was lovely. Um, we came back the next year and did it again. And I think the next year we had about 14 women that we recognized. And, you know, we, as you know, we recognize women by revenue levels, just to group them by sizes mm -hmm. of businesses. So at that time, our top revenue level was businesses with over 10 million in annual revenues. And I, I recall I called Marsha Firestone and said, where am I going to find women entrepreneurs who have 10 million in revenues? And she said, I don't know, Monica, but we'll find them. And, you know, we, we laugh about that now, but, right. um, you know, a few years later, maybe three or four years later, I said, you know, we've got enough people with over 25 million in revenues. Maybe we can raise the bar. Well, today, as you know, the top revenue level for the awards is businesses with over $100 million in revenue. And we've had a number of women with over a billion in revenues right. win, including one this year that had over mm -hmm. $3 billion in revenues. So we've seen this phenomenal growth. And of course, today we recognize 100 women each year from mm -hmm. across the U.S. Um, it started out just U.S., then it became North American, and then it became a global program as it grew in prestige and recognition and all of our partners helped promote it and get the word out there. So it is, you know, really one of the most prestigious awards program for women entrepreneurs in the world, but it really started very small. Um, and that second year um, we had um, opened up the advisory board to some Fortune 500 companies. So we had a handful of them that got involved. UPS was one. They've been involved since our since the very beginning. But we, Disney had a representative on our advisory board. And so she came to the reception in Manhattan and she pulled me aside and she said, this is phenomenal and this needs to be a couple of day conference. If you will move this down to Disney, we will be the premier sponsor of it. Wow. And so we asked the board members at the time and they said, as long as you don't pick a hotel with too many screaming kids, you know, right. great, let's do it. So we went down to the Grand Floridian, which, you know, is, is oh, their is top lovely. hotel. Yes. Yeah. And for the next um, seven years, we, we were actually at Disney um, 
and they were the host. Um, originally, you know, the program was really focused mainly on the gala awards dinner, and there was a lot of free time for fun. Um, and then we said, you know, we've got this incredible group of women coming together. We really need to do a better job of tapping into that expertise. And we started to build out the program. So, you know, now there's a balance. Of course, there's time to relax and enjoy yourself. But we've, we've packed a lot of great content into mm-hmm. it now so that um, we're really taking advantage of getting this group together. And, you know, as part of our awards program, and I know you know this, Sharon, you know, we're looking at women who have uh, grown their companies so that we, we see solid financial growth with the business over at least a three-year period. But they also have to be leaders in their communities. They have to mm-hmm. share what they're doing in the community. They have to give back to mentor other women and, and girls because we've always said mentorship is a core part of our mission mm-hmm. from the very beginning. And so, you know, I feel like when you bring women together who are, have financially strong growing companies, they're leaders in their communities, they're philanthropic, they're giving back, they're mentoring other women. You combine them with our advisory board members because our conference serves as the annual meeting for our advisory mm-hmm. board. You cannot have, you know, can't help but have a phenomenal conference because everybody there is just the kind of woman that you want to meet. You want to be in the room with them. Well, um, and they're just it also was phenomenal. interesting. I, I had just been at the WPO conference in Vegas and then, you know, a couple of weeks later went to the enterprise women conference and, and the difference, both were phenomenal conferences, but the enterprise women was a little bit smaller and much more intimate. Um, and I really had some of the best conversations. In fact, one of, one of our guests that's going to be on a podcast was someone that I met at the enterprising women um, event. And, just their stories and their willingness to share and give and and help with problem solving and strategic planning and all of that was was really amazing. The other thing that I took away from that conference that I thought was sort of the heartstring changing moment for me was when you had the high school girls, uh, women, young women, um, receiving awards for the mentorship that that people had done. So can you talk about that program because? I think that is so much at the core and the backbone of what enterprising women and and Monica from everything I've read, so much at the core of who you are as a person is this program that was established to help young women coming right out of college and right out of even high school to be the type of leader, you know, and, and having them learn early. So talk about that, that program. Yeah. Well, I'm incredibly proud of that program. So You know, so we started the Enterprising Women Foundation about 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. and um, it had been a dream of mine for some time to set up a sister nonprofit that could, generally speaking, could work to advance women's entrepreneurship. But um, at the time, a very dear friend of mine, Edie Frazier, and you you may have Mm -hmm. met Edie at the conference. Edie's adorable. How can you not meet Edie? (laughs) just a force of nature. And she was on our advisory board from the beginning. So she's been just a huge supporter of the magazine over the years. And um, I reached out to her and I told her I was interested in setting up this foundation. Well, at the same time, she was in the process of setting up something called STEM Connector and a project called Million Women Mentors. And the initiative was one that um, was a coalition of organizations. It included partners 
who were, you know, major universities, Fortune 500 companies, girl-serving organizations like the Girl Scouts and Girls Inc. and others. And the goal was to mentor um, at least one million young women, high school, college, and, you know, young women early in their careers to encourage them to get into one of the STEM fields. And uh, we know that there's still this tremendous gap and there's a, right. really a need to encourage young women to get into these areas. And so, you know, we were asked to become a partner in STEM Connector and there were initially about 60 partners. Today, there are, I believe, over 500 partners, but we were sort of, we were in on the ground floor. And at the time I got, we got involved, we were the only partner, as far as I can recall, with an entrepreneurship connection. And, you know, I thought, what, what can we do that would really make a difference with this initiative? Mm -hmm. So we came up with a concept of creating a two and a half hour after school program called Young Enterprising Women Mentoring Forums. Mm -hmm. And so we've now hosted these all over the U.S. and in Canada um, and the focus is on the school helping us identify girls who are high achieving in math, science, or technology. And they may also have an interest in entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. but we bring the entrepreneurship connection into the program for them. We then, using our big community of women entrepreneurs all over, tap into women leaders, CEOs, presidents of companies that are in the STEM fields. So engineering firms, IT companies, healthcare businesses, et cetera. Um, we put a panel together because we really believe that you can't be what you can't see. Mm -hmm. And so the girls meet a panel of women representing a number of these industries. They hear them speak for about 30 minutes. The panelists answer their questions. We really focus on how do we help these girls become more resilient? How do we help them understand how to find mentors? What do they do when they get in college in the first class? It's really difficult. They want to quit. They want to drop mm -hmm. out. How do you work through things like that? How did the women on the panel deal with some of their major challenges and overcome them? So it really has that type of focus. Then we do small group mentoring. We break the girls into tables of, you know, four, eight, maybe as many as 10 um, young women. And we put an adult at each, at each table and they can choose to sit at the table with the engineer if they're interested in engineering or whatever the field is. Um, this year, we've added a financial literacy component. Um, so I have been on the board of a nonprofit here in the Raleigh-Durham area for a number of years um, called the Institute for Consumer Money Management. And it's um, an organization that puts money into financial literacy um, research. And we had just given the year before a million dollar grant to Duke University and NOVA. And NOVA creates, mm -hmm. you know, the wonderful educational programming that you see on PBS and so forth. Um, and so with this million dollar grant, they developed a series of three games that students ages 10 to 20 can play to teach financial literacy skills. So I approached ICMM and just said, how about giving our foundation a grant to implement a financial literacy component to our program? I think it's a perfect fit. Mm -hmm. We had been thinking about it anyway, because we know these girls are getting ready to figure out how they're going to finance college, if they're going to get scholarships or have to take on student loans. They're probably going to get their first credit card. Um, many of them are coming from homes where they aren't getting any of that type of financial mm -hmm. literacy education at home. Um, and so they said, yes, you know, and it was a great fit for us. So we added financial literacy to the program, starting with our March and April programs that we just did this spring. 
And it's something that we're going to continue to do moving forward. Um, so we were in seven cities in March and April. We'll be probably in another 10 cities this fall. Um, we're looking at planning a big virtual conference for all the girls who participated in any of our programs in 2023 so we can build on that knowledge. Um, we're starting to track these young women so that we have some data and can look at, you know, have they actually gone into any, any of the STEM fields mm-hmm. in college and beyond um, so we can continue to build out programs to support them. Um, And then in the last six or seven years, we've really had a focus on underserved communities. Mm -hmm. So in the early years, anywhere that, you know, our one of our board members perhaps wanted to do um, an event, we said, yes, great. Now we challenge them to look at their area and look at high schools that really need the program this Mm month, the most. Um, So as a result, you know, this last spring we were in Harlem, we were in Trenton, New Jersey, um, we were in Houston, you know, we were in, in, in every city, we reached out to the school system and said, where do they really need this? Where can, where should we put this program? And the need is tremendous. Um, so it's, um, it's an unbelievable program. The opportunity to scale it is incredible. There's, you know, it could be done everywhere. In fact, I would love to do it around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you're aware from my bio that I've worked with um, a group called um, IEW, the Institute Mm -hmm. for Economic Empowerment of Women. So I have been on their board for the last, I was trying to count the other day, I think 12 or 13 years now. And they do a program for Afghan and Rwandan women Mm -hmm. entrepreneurs. I was reading about that. That's amazing. uh, Yeah, they do in-country training um, they help them write business plans, marketing plans. They match them with e-mentors. Um, and then they select a group of women to come to the United States in the summer for leadership training and mentorship. And they match them with a woman entrepreneur in the U.S. who's in a similar field or industry. So I've mentored in that program for a very long time. I've traveled to Africa twice with that mm-hmm. program in um, Rwanda in, in 2014 and 2018. And I absolutely love that program as well. And, you know, I'm looking at perhaps a fusion in the, in the coming years of doing the Young Enterprising Women program in other countries. Um, I have some close contacts in Rwanda who said, we'd love to do it here, you know. Well, so, and um, even though the, opportunity. The, it's an underserved community, the the young women that I met were so impressive. They They, they just want a way to make their lives better, but they were, I mean, they have resilience and passion and, and I, I was just so impressed by their desire to make their lives better. Um, so I, that was something that I just really loved about the conference was to, yeah. to just hear these young women speak. Well, and Sharon, we have a scholarship component that I didn't mention. So at each of the local events, um, if the local event wants to raise money for every $2,500 they raise locally, they can choose one young woman to come to the Enterprising Women Conference with a parent or guardian. And we pay, you know, everything, all their the airfare, hotel, meals. We give them visa gift cards to mm-hmm. cover incidentals. We don't want finances to be a consideration with any of these mm-hmm. young women. Um, and with some of the uh, grant money that we received this spring, we were able to fund a number of scholarships so that every yeah. city had a certain number of girls who could come, whether they raised money or not. But in cities like Nashville, for example, um, mm-hmm. they 
Sharon Reynolds leads the program in Nashville. She loves it. And she said, I would like a stadium of girls, you know, Mm -hmm. here. Um, And so she has now done the program for four years there. And this last year, she had five high schools, um, all underserved high schools in Nashville participating in it. And they raised the funds and they sent 10 girls uh, to the program. So um, Houston uh, just did the program for the first time. Um, They had three girls attend and Elena Rivers, who chaired it, who's one of uh, last year's Enterprising Women of the Year Award winners, said, you know, I'd I'd like 20 girls to come next year. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's they see what a valuable program it is and they know how much these girls need this opportunity and how life changing it is for them. So well, and, and there was know, time we, at the conference to talk with these young women as well and to mentor and, and that was really special. So I have to ask Well, this we because, build out at the conference, yeah, leadership yeah, training, right. public speaking, self confidence, lots of great content. Yeah, it was. And again, that's the thing, women helping other women or helping young women, which is great. So I have to ask this question because um, you had sort of a TED style talk where you had several women who told their stories. And wow, um, those were really um, amazing stories of women who overcame some tremendous odds to be successful. So I was thinking about all the stories that Monica has heard over all the years that you've done this, is there one or a couple that stand out of someone that you just look back and think, I'm so glad that that person was a part of my life? Oh, there are so many that it's just, it's, uh, when I start to think back, I, I, it's, it's hard to even know where to begin, Sharon, but a, a recent example, and I think you probably met her at this year's conference. So we inducted a woman named Marilee Kick into the Hall mm-hmm. of Fame this year. Well, Marilee ha- owns a company called um, Southern Champion, and she produces a product called Buzz Balls. She mm-hmm. is a former school teacher, and um, she won the Enterprising Women of the Year Award a few years ago. At that time, her business had under $10 million in revenue, but even that was amazing growth over a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. But she created the concept uh, of this cocktail that looks like a tennis ball it with a flip top, like a soda can on it that you could have at the pool or on a picnic or anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and she wrote it as she was doing a master's degree program and it was, you know, was part of that project. Um, but she created this company really out of nowhere and had uh, tremendous difficulty raising funds, you know, to get it started. It was just really, really challenging. Um, and, and, you know, really through just a lot of hard work and really sticking to it, got this thing going. And, mm-hmm. you know, now she has this product everywhere in the world. It is in every convenience store. I don't care where you go now, any gas station, convenience store, Target, Walmart, you name it, it's there. There's a display. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, global distribution on it. And, and the company is now valued at a billion dollars. So mm-hmm. we've watched well, and, her grow that company. Even, yeah, even more I mean, than it, just it, the company itself, her life, her upbringing and the challenges that she had and, and her sharing her story. I mean, yeah, she was one that was, was incredibly impactful for me, yeah. just listening to her story of, of you know, the struggles as a, a young woman and, you know, her marriage and all of those things. And then just kind of taking the bull by the horns and saying, I can do this and I can figure it out. And she did. 
Yeah. Yeah. That that was an amazing story. um, Who's been on our board for years named Phyllis Newhouse. Um, And Phyllis is a rock star. I mean, she's been on the cover of, you know, many, many magazines at this point, but um, she, she won our award some years ago. And I actually, early on after I'd started the publication, I was asked to go to a conference in Atlanta and moderate a panel. And Phyllis was on that panel. Um, I don't think the company was very old at that point, but she was uh, retired from the army. She actually worked with Colin Powell, which was interesting. He had interviewed her for a position. She tells that story. But um, so she started a cybersecurity company in Atlanta. And she's another woman who is just, if you look at her background now and what she's accomplished in the last 10 or 15 years, she's a serial entrepreneur. She has taken several companies public just in the last few years here. She's, you know, now she's investing in a NASCAR team. Um, You know, she's working with Serena Williams uh, Mm -hmm. to help her with, you know, um, investing in women-owned and and women of color, you know, owned companies. Uh, Just phenomenal, you know, and another probably close to billion-dollar company. Uh, The WPO has something I'm sure you're aware of called the 50 Fastest Mm-hmm. list where they rank the 50 fastest women-owned led companies in the world. And Phyllis is on the list every year. You know, mm-hmm. Marilee Kick is on the list as well. Yeah. So um, these are women that we've, you know, they've been on our advisory board for a number of years. We've watched them have this, you know, just incredible um, trajectory of growth. And um, we've got lots more examples of people, but those are two that and both women have been inducted in the Enterprising Women Hall of Fame. Um, we no, do I induct would, one or two women every year. Yeah, Their stories were amazing. So I do have to ask about, you're very involved in public policy. So, um, you know, you're an advocate for female entrepreneurship. What changes or improvements would you like to see from the current business environment as it exists today that you think could help to better support women entrepreneurs? Well, so there's a, um, a wonderful organization called Women Impacting Public Policy, mm-hmm. or WIPP, W-I-P-P, um, and two dear friends, um, Barbara Kassoff and Dr. Terry Nee, started WIPP um, many, many years ago. I think it started actually um, just a couple of years after I started um, Enterprising Women, so it's been around quite a long time. Um, sadly, the um, current president, Candace Waterman, just passed away last mm, month. Yeah. So the organization is in um, is in a transition right now. But um, that has really been the leading organization to advocate for women entrepreneurs um, in state capitals in 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 Washington D.C. Um, we were a founding partner of WIP. Uh, I've been pleased to work with them over the years. They really work very heavily, uh, particularly in the government contracting area, trying to help women obtain more government contracts. Uh, but they've they've led on a number of issues over the year, over the years. Um, one issue that I've been very focused on is access to capital for women entrepreneurs. It's mm-hmm. a, a huge issue. Mm-hmm. Um, our dear friend Edie Frazier started something called the Women Business Collaborative (WBC) um, about three years ago, with um, the idea of bringing together a coalition of many, many women's business organizations. I think there are over eighty organizations involved now, 
and um, really addressing nine major initiatives that are an issue, not just for women entrepreneurs, but women in corporate uh, America as well, women leaders in business. And um, I've had the honor of co-chairing the Entrepreneurship and Capital Initiative with uh, Judith Goldcran from Wells Fargo um, here over the last couple of years. Um, we are actually hosting a conference in New York in September. Um, but, you know, that whole issue of women being able to access capital is mm-hmm. huge. Uh, we know that women don't receive uh, certainly the venture capital they should be receiving. Um, they're not um, recognized by capital providers um, the way they should. They're not addressing the special challenges that are there. And a lot of women still don't understand the importance of using other people's money to grow and scale your company. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, more men get that, you know, still. And and some women um, tend to be a little bit risk adverse as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but there are some institutional problems that exist that, you know, and some biases and some issues that really need to be addressed. So, you know, that's one issue that I think at the national level, it's, it's a global problem, but, you know, certainly in terms of looking at the U.S., it's a huge problem. And, mm-hmm. and there are many organizations trying to address, you know, that issue as well. But it's something that we write about and talk about. So also. I have to ask you this, because Monica, just to listen to everything from going to Rwanda to, you know, helping with women to, to get capital. Um, you are one busy lady and you're a mother and a grandmother. Um, I'm sure our listeners would love to know how you balance it all because you're still so busy and then you have all these other fractions of your life. So how do you find balance? You know, I, I don't, I'm not wild about the word balance. I don't know how you feel about that, but I think it's it's really tough to balance. But I think, you know, we all want to put our families first. I think we all we all try really hard to do that. And our health, of course, has to always be a priority. I've, I've faced some pretty significant health challenges in the last couple of years. And so, you know, that's, of course, very, very important as well. But I think it's just a matter of you know, there's an ebb and flow. I mean, there are times, mm-hmm. you know, prior to our conference that, you know, for, for the couple months before that I was working 14, 16 hours a day, you know, and then there are times like, you know, over the summer months when we're not on, you know, as tight a deadline uh, and you can pull back a little bit and you can take more time for yourself. Uh, and I think I think we all do that as business owners. I think one of the, the joys of having your own business is this fact that you, you know, while you're working long hours sometimes, you can control your schedule, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're able to manage it. And I think that uh, that's what we all try to do. There are times when you've got to give more more time to the business mm-hmm. and times when you can pull back and, and uh, you know, family is, is understanding. Uh, my, my children have all been involved with, um, with the business. My daughter-in-law works for the company. Um, both of my sons have been involved in different ways over the years. Um, but yeah, I have, um, I'm very fortunate. I have nine grandchildren. Um, the four boys live out of state, but the five granddaughters are all within 30 minutes from me or closer. And so uh, we, uh, I really spend a lot of time with That's my granddaughters. Nice. It's, it's really a priority for me to do that. And um, they're between uh, ages two and 11. Um, and they're involved in, you know, dance and piano and tennis and different things. And 
we just we just really enjoy spending time together. And of course, super important to me that they're they you know grow up to be strong, you know, capable mm-hmm. young women, right? That's, that's, well, they have that's a wonderful priority. role model for sure. I will tell you, I had to smile, Monica, when you were talking about balance. Because when I was a, a young girl, my dad, my dad was a dairy farmer, and he used to say to me, "In this, you have to make hay while the sun shines." So he said, "Work-life balance is this: when you need to get the work done, you need to get the work done, and then there will be times in farming. It was winter when you're not going to be as busy, and that's when you take extra time to rest." But he said, "There's no such thing." as every week you can establish work-life balance. You just have to do the things that you need to do so someday you can do the things you want to do when you want to do them. And I was glad he told me that when I was young because I probably wouldn't own a business today if he wouldn't have said that. So what's yeah. next for Monica? What's next for Enterprising Women? Do you have any any big plans on the horizon? Well, um, this summer we are really putting a focus on how to scale the foundation to the next level because uh, we, we've had a lot of growth this last year. We really feel like we're poised for some explosive growth here in the mm-hmm. next year or two. So we're looking at, you know, what we need to do to really prepare for that. Uh, and, you know, uh, I'm so excited about that possibility that, you know, that there's just um, an opportunity to go after some additional grants that can help us grow. Uh, uh, we're working with a number of women around the country now who want to do events this fall. I just had a really interesting call this week from a woman who um, came to the conference and uh, she's based in Oklahoma and would love to do an event in rural Oklahoma that would be for Native uh, American young women. Um, It would be at a college where we would probably have to bus in girls from about 30 minutes, you know, in every direction, but um, we've never done anything exclusively for the Native American community. And uh, I think that, you know, that could be life-changing for those young women. They're, they're, they really don't have the resources, uh, the mentors, the role models. So, um, uh, you know, I love the idea of, of venturing into some new areas to do, you know, some of that type of work. Um, have an opportunity to attend the Global Summit of Women again next year. We haven't talked about that, but that's something your listeners might be interested in. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a woman on the advisory board, um, actually on our board of directors, Irene Natividad, who founded uh, something called the Global Summit of Women many, many years ago. I should look and see, but it's it's at this point um, 35 years old, perhaps been around a long time. Mm -hmm. And um, Irene invited me to attend the Global Summit in 2002, and it was in Marrakesh, Morocco. And she said, it is life-changing. And if you come once, I know you will want to go every year and you will have a global perspective, you know, for this magazine. And it's so important. I'm going to pay all your expenses to come. And so I, I remember the time my husband and my, my family members said, oh, you know, it was about, it was just a year after 9-11. We're not mm-hmm. sure we're comfortable with you doing that. And and I remember she said, Monica, it's like going to Chicago. Get on the plane, you know. And and so <laughs> I went. And uh, that that first year, there were women from, I think, probably 90 countries there. And at mm-hmm. every meal, um, you know, I would, I would be sitting with women speaking multiple languages. But usually there were a couple of common languages at the table. Mm-hmm. And within a few minutes... Everybody had heard a little bit about each other's businesses. They had passed photos of their children around. 
Um, and, you know, I always said as corny as it sounds, it, it, it makes you feel like if women ran ruled the world, there would be peace on earth because we all get along so well, right? There was mm -hmm. never any conflict. Um, so I've gone back to the Global Summit many, many times. I've spoken and moderated panels all over the world. Um, I love the event and I encourage, you know, your listeners to look into it if they're interested mm -hmm. in, in um, a global event. Um, it brings together women entrepreneurs, uh, corporate women from the vice president level and higher, women in government from the cabinet level and higher, women who have been or are presidents of countries or vice presidents of countries will be there, women who won the Nobel Prize. Um, it's usually around a thousand women or so. Um, and next year, um, it is going to be in Madrid. And we're planning oh, to get a group of Enterprising Women Advisory Board members mm -hmm. together um, and go. Uh, when it was in Paris a few years ago, we had about 15 members of our board attend and we were able to do a really fun dinner one evening and um, a number of women spoke on panels and so forth. And uh, anyway, it sounds just, like an incredible opportunity. Yeah. And another and opportunity the, that people should know about. Yeah. Yes. It, is there anything else before I ask for your information for our listeners, is there anything Monica that we didn't cover that you want to make sure that the listeners hear about? Well, I think just that, you know, if you're a woman entrepreneur and you're not a part of a community uh, like Enterprising Women, if you're not involved in groups like WPO or NABO or WIP or some of the other organizations, um, you need to get engaged. Uh, there's just so much support out there. There's a very strong um, sisterhood, if you will, of women who are eager to help other women grow. Um everybody needs a mentor. I don't care what size mm -hmm. your business is. You need somebody to support you, to cheer you on, to open doors for you. Um, so if you're, if you're listening and you're not connected with a community, you need to do something about that. Um, there's, there's no excuse because there is this wonderful community of, of women out there who will support you and will help you grow and get you to whatever the ne that next level is for your business. Well, and I second that. I, I can't tell you the impact that uh, both WPO and Enterprising Women have already had. And I'm a fairly new member. I've only been a member of WPO a year and, and just had my first conference for Enterprising Women. And I already feel like it's made such an impact. And I met some just amazing women. So I second that. Monica, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what is the best way for them to connect to you? Well, they can connect very easily through enterprisingwomen.com. That's our website. Mm -hmm. So um, there are easy links to um, to get an inquiry or an email to us. So I encourage you to check that out. You can also access the digital issue of the magazine very easily. If you go on enterprisingwomen.com, click on the front cover that you'll see on the homepage and enter your email address and the magazine will open up for you. So you can take a look at it and if you like it and you want to get the print copies, it's easy to subscribe to the print edition yeah. as well. So that's one easy way. We also have something called The Connector on our website, and it's a blog that has great information on it. So, you know, check out The Connector. Um, if you're interested in the foundation, the foundation has a separate website. Um, it's enterprisingwomenfoundation.org. And there's lots of great information there. If you're interested in hosting an event in your local community, reach out to us and let us know. Um, and we'd be glad to set up a call and 
and share more about what it takes to do that. They're they're not difficult to do. And we've done so many of them now that we have a, a template and we can help people um, pull them together. Yeah. Well, Monica, this was lovely. I, I continue to be in awe. I just have to tell you, um, the first time I met you, I was just amazed at your passion and your energy and all of the things that you've done to be such a champion for women. And I, for one, am so grateful that our paths have crossed and I will continue to be a very active member of Enterprising Women for sure. So again, thank you so much for everything that you're doing for um, our community and, and for continuing to connect women entrepreneurs. I can't tell you how grateful that I am and I know others are as well. Oh, thank you, Sharon. And, and congratulations again on being an award winner this year. Yeah, thank uh, you. You've accomplished so much and we're very proud of you.